you. No, there's no. It's absolutely not you. <laughs> How's this pen look? I think it looks sick. I think it looks like you're a professional CIA operative. That's the idea. Yeah. We with us is expert wit gift. Expert, expert guest. <laughs> expert, expert gift. <laughs> <laughs> I was I don't know I've been trying to think of too many things at once lately yeah. I feel like the brain fog still hasn't gone away and I asked one of my friends who gave birth uh she has like two she's a two-year-old and she was like it doesn't ever go away well so I, I was think... like is that a joke are you joking right now and then she was like I wish I could tell you differently and I was like do you mean that because you're tired because you're taking care of a toddler or like biologically I am now dumber because I cannot <laughs> go I didn't have that much room to go already <laughs> You know? No, I think I think you're gonna be better in like six to ten years. No. <laughs> no, I think like when the baby's a year, right? Isn't that what I think that's what it's supposed to be scientifically? I don't know, Rashad has wrong. a baby, he knows. Rashad, when does it get better? Right. That's true. Well, I have the fog and I don't have a baby, so I feel like you're doing better. Okay. Thank yeah. you for saying that. You're welcome. As long as we're I'm both doing dumb. One person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's working for us. It is. We're we're getting something out of it. Are we going to record this? Yeah, I think so. Are we recording? Oh. Matt Strong and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 79 of Let's Get Haunted. Yeah, we did not know we were recording. No. At all. We were having a fun time. It was. I don't did we say anything we can't keep in there? Uh no, I don't think so. Okay, so maybe you guys are gonna see it. Also, if you've no there's a few changes that have happened. Yes. Are you guys tell. noticing? I'm trying to I'm like trying to get used to where the camera is. Right. If I'm oh yeah, well let's not give it away. Let's let them guess. Guys, in the comments below, what's different about <laughs> this episode? It's like uh let's answer. First of all, um the colors are different. Yeah. That's the main thing yeah. I would say. It's fantastic. It we is. really do. We really just, you know, the special effects here are just amazing. Yeah, they are. And it's really all thanks to Rashad. Yeah. And we're very sad because he just informed us that today is his last day yeah. at this studio. And I'm yeah. sad because Cole also mm -hmm. left. You guys may remember him from a different episode. Oh, I know why he left. Why'd he leave? Okay. So I have a theory. Cole. He doesn't matter because he's not watching this. I think Cole has is has a crush on Alyssa. No, Cole has a girlfriend. Yeah, well, she he, she made you leave. That's <laughs> no. what, she made him leave. Tommy watches happened. this, so you can't say we got to cut that out. We'll Tommy, bleep it. comment below if you think that uh, unless, Cole has a crush on Alyssa. Unless I was so confused. You guys were vibing like when when you talked about that fake video game character guy. He like knew what you were talking about. That's right. He Nancy does Drew. play Nancy Drew games. Right. You guys, this is like a, a series of inside conversations that you guys weren't a part of that we are now having. But it's Haunted Fam. That's true. Haunted, haunted fam, fam. Let me catch you up. Okay. <laughs> Fill in the blanks, Haunted Fam. Right. Yeah. Um, so we were recording at this podcast studio and the sound engineer, who happens to be, I would say, an attractive, an attractive no, one. No, he was like 20. Okay, that you cannot, yeah. So he can still be attractive one at 20? Yeah, but it's, but it's different because it's a baby. Okay. Well, yeah. anyways, my point being, 
they're they're he's a sexual person probably i mean <laughs> you would and one, there were vibes one being would imagine sent. yes there were vibes being this sent. is natalia's opinion and and that there were vibes and the reason why she thinks there were vibes is because we both played nancy drew games this is her only reason for thinking this that's a pretty strong reason comment below if you think <laughs> that's a strong reason to smash anyways <sighs> moving on second thing that's yeah. different we're on different sides of the room don't know if we said that already did we we said different colors. Third thing that's different, I am not joined by my regular co-host, Natalia Strawn. Mm -hmm. No, today I am joined by Nat Strong, attorney at law. Hi, I'm Nat Strong. 877-CASH-NAT. <laughs> Cash Look at this. I've got the LGH yes. pin here. I don't know if you guys can see this. Rashad, is this, can they is see it? Is it visible? Now, I just want to take a second to show off this lovely pin. I'm going to do yes. my QVC. Yeah, show right do now. a Vanna White right now. Um, okay, so first of all, you we have, have such nice hands. Also, you this like is my no chance wrinkles. to show the the my nails that That's I got. Not fair. You guys need to be watching this on the YouTube. Oh, okay. we forgot to say, if you're listening to the audio only version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Podcasts, then you are only seeing part of the show that we are giving you right now because we are also on YouTube. Now, this is from a very small, a very long distance far away. You can see here. You move it a little this way. Wait, you got your nails redone? Yes. Oh, they're so cute. Thank you. There, There is a pen here, and it has our logo on it. It's it an does. enamel pen. It has a black backing, which is fucking cool as fuck. Yes. Usually they're gold, which that, is dumb. Yeah. This black is better. Yeah. And it goes right up against your heart, black like your soul. Plus, Let's Get Haunted is like a right. little Band-Aid over your heart. So you have to wear it on the left. And it has this lovely little pin that if you're chaotic like me, you can use as an earring back when you can't find <laughs> any other ones. And also, um, I've been wanting to do a nail cam. I saw Alyssa yes. do the nail cam last yes, time and I yes, was incredibly yes. sad. Like I'm doing a nail cam. Yeah, do nail cam. Blurry nail cam time. Here. The people love it. They want more blurry nail cam. I saw you guys in the comments saying that this was your favorite part of the show. Gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeous. They've got faces on Gorgeous. them. I know. I Little can see Picasso it. faces. It's, you know what it reminds me of? The Belmez faces. Exactly. Yes. That's what, when I was yes. in the shower rehearsing this conversation that I'm having you with right now. <laughs> I'm just picturing I... you. I'm picturing you in the shower with your suit on. And you're just like, hello, I'm not strong. <laughs> Yeah, do you guys? I was thinking. I was like, okay, either she's gonna bring up Belmont's faces, or I'm gonna bring up Belmont's faces. Oh, and I'm either you way to the punch. That's a yes. Yeah. Does anyone Sorry. else practice having conversations Sometimes. with people they're already comfortable yeah, with? Yeah, when I'm tired, which I am right now for sure. <laughs> yeah, if I'm tired or I'm like on too much Sudafed, because right. you know sometimes you get a sinus infection, you gotta yeah. take your Sudafed, and mm -hmm. then you get to work and you're like, I am amped, and then you're right. like, I gotta tone this down. Yeah. I gotta tone it down. I'm about to fire someone. <laughs> To win your HR yeah. and you get too lit, no, you I'm fire I'm just kidding. Someone. I'm never lit when I fire someone. I cry. Oh, I'm such yeah. a baby. That's got to be really hard yeah, for you. I'm sorry. It, that's okay. Back to my nails. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And welcome to Let's Get Haunted. Welcome to Let's Get Haunted. I'm Nat Strong. I'm Allie with no last name, and we're going to keep it that way. 
forever. How's it been going? It's been going well. Mm. I feel like um, there's probably some of you that don't know my last name Mm. and some of you already do and it's too late. How hard is it to find your last name? Not hard. Not hard at all, but don't (laughs) Google me. That's Because here's what I'm trying to avoid. Let me Mm. let you guys in on a little secret, which could backfire because uh, our stalker could be watching this or someone that doesn't like us. But what I'm trying to avoid is if you... If in a future employer, if I ever want to like change career paths or change companies and a future employer Googles my full name, I don't want the first thing that pops up to be our haunted ass podcast <laughs> where we're talking about like tiny butt plugs that have been put in my in my eye and all right. kinds of bullshit. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to avoid. So hopefully you will keep using just Allie, you guys, whenever you Google me. If you Google Let's Get Haunted Allie, the first thing that pops up is my Instagram. So I know it works. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only reason. That's great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I think when you Google my name, private Instagram comes up right next to it because well, I tried hey. it the other day. And I wasn't mad about it. No. I was like, hey, whatever. Whatever. And also free publicity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to say before we forget, because last time we forgot, I want to shout out our donors. Last yes. time we didn't have time. Remember, we were in such a hurry. Mm. We were both half an hour late. Yeah. And so I'm going to shout you guys out right now. Maria O, Elena B, Alicia C, Samantha C, Joshua W, Brenna M, Toxic Lollipop. If you guys go to Etsy.com and type in Toxic Lollipop, we have a listener who makes these really cute resin pins that say Let's Get Haunted. So if you want to go support her, definitely go check her out. Also, Rebecca H, Kiri, Natalie J, Young Yeet, Elena B. <laughs> <laughs> Elena B, Alicia C again, Bree, Mariah, and John, who are partners, and they watch this show together. Oh, Isn't that LGH the best people together? Or it breaks you up faster. In either case, <laughs> good, good, right. Uh, also, Lily, Maria O again, and Krista D. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, and from my end, I want to thank Amy S, Brielle S, Taylor M, Sonia B, Cami G, or Peter Barker. Zoe, who uh, last time I think I pronounced it Zoe, it's Zoe. I'm sorry about that, Zoe. Oh, Zoe. S. And Lauren B. Thank you guys so much for Thank donating. You. And also, Cami G. Peter Barker donated $50. Thank Holy you. Holy shit. Thank you, Peter Barker. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Also, Lily donated $69. Oh and gosh. Lily, I appreciate you and I see wow. you. And she also wrote a very nice little message to us and i just wanted to say thank you for being a listener and thank you to everyone whether your donation was 69 cents four dollars and 20 cents or 69 dollars and thank you to everyone who ordered merch yes yeah the store has some new merch in there go check it out you can get these pins plus our limited edition haunted tokens and we're only going to make a small amount of those so once they sell out they're done limited edition and they like refer to easter eggs that are um from the show and eventually when the society falls apart that is going to be the only currency left and so get ahead you of have the curve. to get it it's like tokens. bitcoin but physical you can touch it right so it's better than bitcoin yeah i can't even understand <laughs> cryptocurrency but i can understand a little pin on your lapel yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Right. So do that. It's Mm -hmm. tangible. It's fun. The aliens will respect you. And uh, go to letsgethaunted.com. Do your part. Do your part. part. (laughs) www.letsgethaunted.com. I'm not strong. (laughs) 
Okay. Natalia. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm really we're, we're trying to be more efficient about this show. I saw somebody leave a comment. Uh, uh, I think it was last we're episode. We're already not being more efficient, but continue this oh, tangent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody commented on, maybe it was two episodes ago, and they were like, oh, I always thought you guys just like really heavily edited these episodes, but it turns out you just switch topics really with quickly. no segue. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, when you're on the same wavelength, you don't have to be like, hey, we're going to start the new wavelength. You just start it. Yeah. And the other person's that's like, right. okay, this Catch is, up. we're here. Yeah. yeah. Get with you us. You guys, the waves are going to keep coming. You either surf or you sink. <laughs> yeah, the waves start coming and they don't stop coming right. and they don't stop coming. For some reason, saying that made me want to fight. I was <laughs> like, you either sink or you swim. Right. Yeah. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, what I was going to say... <laughs> Natalia, we have some new listeners. Oh, we do. Yes, yeah. because we just started uploading to YouTube as well, which, by the way, you guys, we're only uploading to YouTube for the month of July because we need to do this as an experiment to see yeah. if it cuts into our other streams. Um, and if it does, then we're not going to continue yeah. doing these episodes. And you guys ruined it. Yeah. No, please watch us. It, no, I mean, if you don't watch us, you ruined it. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's true. You guys you ruined it either way. yourself to blame. Yeah. If you're seeing this right now, you are the only hope to keep this channel going. You have to help any way you can. Go on Reddit, spray our channel link spray. in every subreddit, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay. like oh, I see. Just rapid fire yeah a spray okay yeah <laughs> um and you know tell all your friends tell them their friends and pretty soon you made new friends and we get to keep our podcast <laughs> that's right and if you'd like to make new friends you can figure out where our fan discord is yes. i believe we are up to 750 people in the fan discord am i going to give you the link not right now but if you dm us I probably will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But back to what I was saying. So we have new listeners. Yes. They might not know what our show is. Maybe somebody is just searching the topic and I can see Natalia getting <laughs> angry that I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her a question she hates. Why are you on But if you, I just spit everywhere. <laughs> if you are just Googling the topic and you don't know who we are, Natalia, quick, tell them. We are America's most haunted professional haunted podcast duo i'm nat strong i'm Allie, and like madonna yeah and yeah just one name mm -hmm. and uh what we do on this show is we research haunted topics from across the web from across the world from your suggestions or things that just pop into our head at night while we're sleeping and then we present them in a very well-researched manner, if you're Allie. Oh, um, I was going to say this one's not very well-researched. <laughs> and sometimes we even bring on special guests that are experts in yeah. the field or just cool people that are fun to listen to. Um, we're an inclusive community. Everyone is welcome here. Unless you're an asshole, you will get banned. I had to ban someone today, actually, from, from the where? Discord. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And so um, don't fuck with us, but listen to us and comment, like, and subscribe. You had to ban someone from the yeah, Discord Yeah, it was today? so exhilarating. Actually, Wait, do, do we, we have time? Can I tell it? Yeah. We, we'll cut it. If you guys see a jump cut, it's because I determined it was too scandalous. Right. Okay. So basically in the Discord, um, someone, ZJ, messaged me and was like, hey, 
Um, I don't know if you're active on here or not or whatever, but uh, there's someone who's been like acting up in the in the discord, being rude and just like kind of being obnoxious to other members. Um, like, can you like I know you don't have that much time. If you could make me a mod, like I could prevent these things from happening. I have two other discords that I'm the mod in. Right. I'm like very familiar with the software and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was like, yeah, sounds great. But what what do you mean they're like being rude? And they're like, oh, it's in the selfie chat. And I was like, what? I went over to the selfie chat, and it was actually. Peter Barker took a selfie that was like very cute wearing a um, Spider-Man like bowling yeah. hat. And some random like douche said said like, oh, you're busted. And then everyone was very like, what could you be talking about? Because not that this matters. You shouldn't call anyone busted. Whatever they look like, it doesn't matter. But Peter Barker's actually not busted. They're actually very conventionally attractive. So, so it made very, it more confusing. It made it very more confusing. And everyone was like, is this a troll? Is this like sarcasm? Because they didn't say anything else after that. And then they just started being a, a, like just going off. I think they said that you and I, they were like, why is everyone listening to these two girls with chlamydia? Or something, and I was like, "Since when wow. is that an insult?" <laughs> like you could have said anything else. You could uh, be like, "Excuse me, chlamydia is curable, so try right. again." Mm-hmm. Maybe you should have picked something incurable <laughs> if you were really trying to like get us. Yeah, and um, I'm just kidding. Don't make fun of people who have incurable diseases. diseases. Yeah. 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 yeah, don't do that. Just don't do it. Right. But uh, and then so eventually I was like, OK, I can't I need to ban this person. And then I also need to upgrade um, CJ and Peter Barker to being mods because they're Yay, very congratulations, active. Congratulations, so, guys. Congratulations. Guys, gals, ZJ, and pals. Uh, and Peter Haunties. Barker, a.k.a. Cammy G, for um, becoming mods and taking on that responsibility. I hope you're happy with your new responsibilities. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Very, very much. Thank you. Wow. Well, what a douchebag. I hope that that person dies in a fire. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I hope that they find another Discord where they're by themselves and they can just say asshole things back and forth to themselves. I hope that they do the work. I hope that they look yeah, inward look and inward. they realize that actually what they're projecting onto other people is just coming from unhealed trauma in their That's past. That's very true. Yeah. Also, I'm trying to think of... Get well soon, bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, wait. Before I go on another tangent, should yeah. we just should we stop and go into yeah. this episode? Okay, because I have I have like twenty other thoughts racing around I in my know. brain is right now. Is this entertaining? No, should this is our up? worst episode. Okay, okay, I agree. All right, here's what's going on right now, Natalia. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you guys have never heard of our show before, Natalia did a great job explaining it. The only thing that I would add is that she has no idea what the story is that I'm about to tell her. So mm-hmm. every other episode or every episode we rotate. So every other episode is mine. The other episodes are Natalia's. Right. Yeah. So I have a story that I'm very, very excited to tell you. This is something I've actually been wanting to cover ever since we first started this podcast. But I kept putting it off because the story is so infamous, so well covered by other podcasts and YouTube channels that I just kind of felt like, what could we possibly add to it? Like, what? I don't know. It's like it's an intimidating topic. Right. Okay. However... This year, the story kind of popped back up in the news. And so I thought maybe this is actually the perfect time to cover this topic because there might be an update soon. Right. And we also generally don't cover true crime. This is a true crime story. It's an unsolved mystery. It's an American unsolved mystery. It's very popular. 
And I did want to give a trigger warning to anyone who is not used to us covering true crime because we don't. We don't do it. So here's your trigger warning right now. This story does involve images and descriptions of physical abuse against a child. And it is sometimes called America's unknown child. Natalia, have you ever heard of the boy in the box? No. Okay. Our story begins in February of 1957 in Fox Chase, Pennsylvania. And I'd like you to look up at the screen and see the next slide that I have for you today. Okay. Okay. So for our international audience, I like to provide maps of (laughs) where where we're uh, located at for each story. So here's a map of the U.S. with Pennsylvania in red. And then the next slide, we have a drawing of the state of Pennsylvania with the city Fox Chase indicated by a red star. Sick name. Yeah. For a town. Right. Next, I thought it would be cool to look at um, some old-timey film made in Pennsylvania in the 1950s to kind of set the scene for this episode. Mm. And... Yes. Okay, perfect. It already says on here. Natalia, do you want to read this for our listeners? Sure. Um, It says, Philadelphia Transportation Company, <laughs> the early 1950s, glimpses of Route 6 through 10. 6 through something. Yeah. yeah. So this is a video of- I'm seeing a trolley yes. in black and white going down. It looks like San Francisco. Wow. Pennsylvania- For some reason, I just thought it was going to be like a big farm town, Um, but it looks like they have a trolley system going, which feels very metropolitan to me. And it's black and white footage and no sound. It's a silent film. And all those old timey cars on the side. Wow. This is very, this is setting the mood for me. It really really is. Good. I'm glad it is. Let's, how about you continue watching while I just read a couple sentences for you? I'm interested. So this video was filmed all over Pennsylvania, not just the city of Fox Chase, but Fox Chase does appear in this silent film and it focuses on the trolley lines, but I still think it does a pretty good job of showing what people looked like, what they were up to, what they were wearing and kind of give us a feel and maybe transport us to 1957, which is the exact year that our story takes place and the exact year that this footage was filmed. So it's not even like I'm like, oh, this is the 1950s. This is the actual year that our story takes place. Yeah, I see lots of people smoking cigarettes and, Mm -hmm. and dressed, you know, conservatively. Mm hmm. They didn't have. I don't think they had sweatpants then. I think you, probably not. You probably got shot yeah. if you were wearing sweatpants and you were a woman for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rashad, if we can pause this Very skinny video man that looks like my ex. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as we've all dated a skinny man from time to time, <laughs> it normally ends in disaster. Mm. Mm. Our story begins. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, everybody knows who my ex is, so I can't make right. jokes. I Steve is a wonderful human being. Mm-hmm. I will always have love for him. He's great. Yeah. I have. I feel like I always Me have to too. put a disclaimer. Otherwise, someone's going to be like, she's talking shit about Steve. No, Steve's, yeah, Steve's wonderful. A, Steve's I still great. talk to him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Our story begins with John Pałrosnik. John was an 18-year-old Polish immigrant whose parents had brought him and his brother to America in the late 1940s. Now, Natalia, do you know what was going on in Poland in the 1940s? Yes. Tell me. Uh, it was getting wrecked. Absolutely it, wrecked. It was getting wrecked. Bo- yes. And bombed. And bombed. And, Correct. And um, I actually went to Warsaw 
few years ago. I thought you were about to say I actually went to war. And no. I was like, what are you talking about? No, no, not in this life. I went to Warsaw, which is in Poland. And, yes. Um, it was like this beautiful city. And it was like this UNESCO World Heritage Site. But it had like a little disclaimer. It had all been rebuilt. Oh, okay. Because it was literally razed to the ground in World War II by bombs. That's Yeah, that makes sense. And they sense. built it all back up and just pretended like nothing happened. Yeah, my roommate in college, her family was from Poland. They mm -hmm. immigrated from Poland. And she taught me how to say a couple of things in Polish. And I still remember how to say one, but I'm going to mispronounce it. What is it? It was, I love you, which is kochamcie. 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 Wow. And if we have any Polish listeners. Tell me how badly I butchered it because yeah. this was many moons ago that I learned this. And then I also asked her how to say fuck me in Polish. And she said, I don't know how to say that because she's like, why would I know how to say that? She's like, I was born in the US. My parents, my like exposure right. to Polish is my family. Why would they ever say that to me? If you guys know how to say fuck me in Polish, comment it. Yeah. So and, we can know. and she was like thinking about it for a while. And she was like, I think maybe it's this. And then later we found out it was wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it was spear the lion mie. Spear me? Spear the lion mie. Spear the lion me. Spear the lion me. And the, but then we figured out it was wrong. So if we have Polish listeners, sorry. Yeah. It's wrong. It's exciting. Yeah. It gets the people going. That was exciting. Well, I'd like to read you a Wikipedia passage now. I'm really excited. Great. So I had just asked you what was going on in Poland in the 1940s. You said they got wrecked. That is correct. So the history of Poland from 1939 to 1945 encompasses primarily the period from the invasion of Poland by Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union to the end of World War II. Following the German-Soviet non-aggression pact, Poland was invaded by Nazi Germany on the 1st of September 1939 and then by the Soviet Union on the 17th of September of the same year. The campaigns ended in early October with Germany and the Soviet Union dividing and annexing the whole of Poland. And after the Axis attacked, uh, after the Axis attack on the Soviet Union in the summer of 1941, the entirety of Poland was occupied by Germany, which proceeded to advance its racial and genocidal policies across Poland. And I think a lot of people probably are familiar with this. We learn about World War II, at least in the U.S. We learn mm -hmm. about it um, in yeah. high school. And what you may not know is that about 5.6 million Polish citizens died as a result of the German occupation. At about 150,000 died as a result of the Soviet occupation. It's really sad. It's very sad. And I would like us to watch a couple of minutes of World War II footage that shows some of the initial occupation of Poland by Nazi forces. Um, I would actually, Rashad, if you can skip to around a minute and 40 seconds of the video. And then, Natalia, if you can describe it to our audio-only sure, listeners. Sure, it says um, Invasion of Poland. And now we're watching uh, Invasion of Poland 1939. Now we're watching black and white footage. Oh, yeah, this is very, I, I say cool, um, but I'm aware that there was lots of people that lost their lives now, so it's not that cool. But it, it is very interesting to see this footage right now. So I think that was a Nazi tank and it had like a skull on the front. Okay, gasoline is being sprayed on the building. Oh my gosh, they have like old-timey cannons. Yes. So wow. um, people might not be aware that... Um, during like World War II, 
the way that people got their news was kind of from these like I mean now we might say like propaganda films but it was it was just like all of everything condensed down yeah right into like a short film that you could watch and be like oh that's what's going on because we didn't have social media and it was before you saw a movie right yeah 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 it was like in the previews yeah it was just the news very interesting so as I said, millions of Polish citizens died as a result of German and Soviet occupation of the country, and those who could flee did because staying in Poland meant almost certain death. Mm-hmm. So back to the beginning of our story, which is John Pałrosnik, his brother and his parents. They were one such Polish family that was fortunate enough to escape death and enter the United States as refugees. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence of the terror and horrors that they experienced in Nazi-occupied Poland, the family as a whole was understandably very distrustful of police, very distrustful of governmental authority figures in Mm -hmm. general. And so we need to remember this context as we go into the story of the boy in the box. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I would not be happy with government either. No, no. And especially thinking of like having to watch your neighbors be essentially kidnapped Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, ripped out of their homes. And the next morning you just wake up and people aren't there anymore. Um, It reminds me of our story we talked about when we had the dynamic banter boys on. We talked talked about the desaparecidos Mm -hmm. in Argentina. Very Mm -hmm. similar idea where you would just wake up and all of a sudden your neighbors aren't there. And they could have been murdered. They could be in a concentration camp. Like you just really don't know. So if you were fortunate enough to be able to escape that, you probably just want to keep your head down, right? Like you don't want any trouble with police. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to know anything about them. You just want to keep your head down and be a good person. Lay low. Yeah. So in February of 1957, John was riding his bicycle down Susquehanna Road on his way to play basketball at the local church. Next to him as he rode his bike were the rural woods of Fox Chase, Pennsylvania. John knew these woods well because, as a hobby, he deployed traps for muskrats and used their furs to make pelts and clothing for himself. He hadn't checked his 19 traps in a while, so he decided to stop off in the woods on his way to the basketball. Oh, on his way to play basketball. Let me say that again. He hadn't checked his 19 traps in a while, so he decided to stop off in the woods on his way to basketball to see if he had caught anything. As he turned off the road, he made note of all the trash littering the woods, and he felt disgusted by how little regard some people seemed to have for nature. This section of woods had become an unofficial and illegal dumping ground and abandoned broken pieces of furniture, tin cans, cardboard boxes, and more were heaped in smelly piles through the grass and trees. As John's eyes ran over the trash piles in disgust, something in particular caught his eye. According to author David Stout, quote, he saw a large cardboard box lying on its side. It hadn't been there the last time he'd been in the woods. The cardboard hadn't begun, to, hadn't begun to sag into pulp from snow and rain, so it had to have been left fairly recently. John was curious. Leaving his bike, he walked to the box and reached down with his right hand to pull it upright. Feeling the weight, he let the box down. Walking partway around it, he peered inside. Hmm. He thought he must be looking at a naked doll partly wrapped in a blanket with its head just sticking out. He wondered why it had been tossed in the woods. But, wait a minute. The skin was not the flesh pink of a doll's. 
It was real people-colored, except greenish around the stomach. The head was as big as a little boy's. The hair buzzed short, not like any doll John had ever seen before. Standing in the chill, John suddenly understood. He looked all around, in a circle, and saw that he was alone. The feeling in his stomach, the awful sadness in the presence of death, made him think of his parents, of his brother, made him want to go home to them. John felt sick. He felt like he wanted to throw up. He quickly hopped on his bike and pedaled home. Once home, he told his mother that he didn't feel well and went to his room to lie down. He closed his eyes but kept picturing what he had seen. He could not get the image of the boy in the box out of his mind. Should I go to the police, he wondered? Should I tell somebody? Memories of Nazi police kidnapping his neighbors in the night, never to be seen again, ran through his mind. He remembered something his mother had told him, that they had been given a second chance when they escaped to America, and they must do their best to work hard, keep their heads down, and stay out of trouble. So, not wanting to bring any unwarranted suspicion or trouble into his family's life, he decided not to tell anyone what he had seen. So, Natalia, I'm going to show you several pictures of what John saw in the woods that day, and I'd like you to describe it to our listeners. Well, obviously, he told people, otherwise we wouldn't know about the story, well, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it around town. Don't okay. you worry. Let's see. I'm looking at the side of a road. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it looks just like a bunch of junk piled up on the side of the road. And there's an arrow pointing to what I'm assuming is the box. Correct. And then our next picture... Okay, this is the road. So it's a one-lane road. Um, There are trees all along the right-hand side and uh, telephone poles on the left-hand side. looks like this is kind of out in the country, I'm assuming. Yeah, this is definitely out in the country. Very rural. Very rural. Mm -hmm. And then the next picture... This is the box, and it takes a minute to figure out what you're looking at. So if you just want to describe. Okay. Yeah, it took me a second to figure out what I'm looking at. Okay. So um, it looks like a bunch of leaves and sticks are piled, and then there is a large, almost like a wardrobe box that is um, on top of all of these leaves. And then from the top, you can kind of see the back of a boy's head. And his left shoulder, and then you can see his abdomen and his legs are kind of going down long ways into the box. And there's what looks like a blanket or something covering um, his face and most of the right side of his body. Yes, correct. And then the next photo is just a higher quality image that I found. Oh, it's a little boy. It's a little boy. This makes me sad. So a few days after John's discovery, another boy was in the same area. Frederick Benoni was driving his car down Susquehanna Road, the same road that John had ridden his bike down just a few days earlier, when he saw a rabbit dart in front of his car and into the woods beyond. It was Monday, February 25th, and Frederick was driving home from his classes at LaSalle College. He knew that these woods were used by trappers because he had seen the steel traps there himself just a few weeks earlier while on a walk. Personally, Frederick was not a fan of trapping. He thought it was cruel. Mm. And when he had seen the traps last, he had purposefully pressed on them with a large stick to trigger them into closing. When he saw the rabbit running into the woods this time, he wondered if it would be caught in a trap. He pulled his car over to the side of the road and decided to get out to investigate. 
As he made his way through the underbrush and trash that littered the side of the road, the shiny glint of the steel traps caught his eye. He went over to investigate. He found that the traps were still closed with no animals caught in the metal jaws. He breathed a sigh of relief and turned around to head back to his car. But as he did so, something else caught his eye. It was a box. A large cardboard box laying on its side. Compared to the other debris in the area, this box seemed fairly new, as if it had not been placed as if it had been placed not long before, maybe only a couple days. Frederick made his way over to the box and looked inside. It took him a couple of minutes to figure out exactly what he was looking at, and his mind was having trouble processing it. Was it a doll? A mannequin? No, not a doll, not a doll, Frederick thought to himself. He was almost positive that this could not be a doll. Terrified, he ran back to his car and drove home, stunned by what he had seen. That night, he molded over in his mind. Should he go to the police? What if he was wrong and it was just a doll? He'd look like an idiot. He also remembered a recent run-in he'd, he'd had with the police. They had caught him hanging around Susquehanna Road earlier, earlier that year as he spied on the young women who lived at the Good Shepherd School for Wayward Girls across mm. the street. It was a miracle that he had been let off with just a strong warning that time, and Frederick did not want to have to explain to the cops what he had been doing in that same area again. Mm-hmm. What if they didn't believe that he was just looking for rabbits this time, he right. thought. Frederick went to sleep. The following morning, he got in his car and headed back to LaSalle College for his morning classes. As he drove, the radio blared a message. Police in southern New Jersey are searching for a four-year-old girl missing from her home in Belmar. Frederick slammed on his brakes and listened to the radio broadcast intently. Just the day before, on February 25, 1957, a four-year-old girl named Mary Jane Barker had gone missing just a few miles over the Pennsylvania border in New Jersey. The radio announcer went on to say that the largest manhunt in New Jersey history was underway looking for the girl. Frederick thought to himself, what if the doll I saw is actually the missing girl? I have to do something. He drove on to his college and sought guidance from the priest on campus. The priest ultimately encouraged Frederick to call the police, and he did. This phone call is what finally drew the police out to the woods to inspect what was inside the box. Once on scene, the police roped off a radius around the cardboard box. But what they found inside was not the body of the missing four-year-old Mary Jane Barker. What was inside the box was not a girl at all. It was the body of a young boy, twisted, cold, and bruised, Mm. loosely covered in a dirty blanket, sticks and leaves blown over the tiny head which poked out from the cardboard. The body, the box, and anything of interest surrounding the box were all transported to the office of the medical examiner for study. And Natalia, I have a picture here up on screen of an autopsy photo. Yeah. um, Okay. I'm looking at a black and white photo of the body of, yeah, a little boy. Uh, Looks like he has his head shaved, perhaps, in this photo. I don't know if that's what they did after um, for the autopsy. Uh, And he's got interesting like interesting bruises across his forehead looks Mm -hmm. like three evenly spaced dots he also has black eyes um and like a busted lip and then if we go to the next slide 
These are two more autopsy photos. Right. So he's got bruises on the back of his neck and um, bruises on his arms and his stomach. And he looks thin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looks like he probably was, yeah, beaten by somebody and hadn't eaten a good meal in in, um, a long time. And then if we go to the next photo, this is the last autopsy photo I have for you. Yeah, his knees and his legs are really bruised up. Um, And in this photo, I can see just how emaciated he is. Like his knees are like so knobby and the joint just looks so much bigger than the rest of the calf and the ankles are really big too. Yeah, it's... This is this is um yeah this is hard to look at. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to look at. And for that reason I'm going to ask Rashad to take this photo down for right now. Mm-hmm. And the autopsy was performed by Dr. Joseph Spellman, Philadelphia's chief medical examiner. And I kind of want to do an aside here and say every time I've ever heard this story, mm-hmm. I've never heard the actual autopsy report before. So I was very interested in finding this information out. And I could not find the original autopsy report, but I could find a book entitled The Boy in the Box, America's Unknown Child, written by Jim Hoffman. Mm -hmm. And he had the autopsy report in the text of his book. Lovely. So I wanted to shout out Jim Hoffman. If you guys are really interested in this topic, he has a very long book about this. Definitely go support him and buy the book. I found it on Google Play. And what I'm going to read next is a pretty long direct quote from his book because it's the autopsy report. Mm -hmm. So according to author Jim Hoffman, one of Dr. Spellman's first problems was trying to determine the time of death. The reason being that Philadelphia's weather is generally cold in February. And in fact, in the last week of that month, the temperature ranged from the chilly 20s to the brisk 40s. And in such weather, human bodies do not decompose rapidly. Dr. Spellman indicated that the time of death could have been within two to three days or as much as two to three weeks, though he tended to believe that the body was not in the field for that long because if we remember, the box wasn't soggy and it had been snowing. On the other hand, the cause of death was not a problem. Dr. Spellman stated in his report that the boy died due to being, quote, beaten to death. The multiple bruises covering the body indicated that the little boy was beaten to death in a very brutal fashion. Though the age of the boy is questionable due to indications of malnutrition, which you pointed out, Mm -hmm. Natalia, found when his x-rays were analyzed, the boy was initially determined to be anywhere from three to five years old, though many sources quoted the age as four to six years old. The body of the boy again led to some problems. It had plenty of small clues, such as identifying marks, but none were really prominent. Of course, the body was completely nude except for the blanket covering his loin area. Interestingly, the boy's nails on both hands and feet were cut, and his hair had been freshly cut, though in a crude, rushed manner, with small tufts of hair still clinging to the boy's body, as if he had been wet just before or just after his death. Mm. His arms were lying on each side of his torso with the palms apparently facing downwards. The boy weighed 30 pounds and was 40 and a half inches tall and of Caucasian ethnicity. He had blue eyes, which were partially open, but the eyeballs had already started to sink back towards the skull by the time of the autopsy. His hair was determined to be a light brown, and he had four blatant blatant bruises pocking his forehead 
which indicated that someone had placed pressure there just before or just after the boy's death, perhaps to cut his hair in a haste. Dr. Spellman even considered the idea that the boy's four bruises to his head led to his death, and the tiny lips were dry and botched with blood. As you pointed out, Natalia, Mm -hmm. he has a busted lip. His ribs were exposed, also indicating malnutrition. And William H. Kelly, who was a fingerprint expert who also looked at the autopsy report and also looked at the corpse, said, quote, his little tummy was already greenish with rot. And he went and took his fingerprints at that time. Seven scars blotted the body, which were seen as possible clues to the boy's identity. Three were possibly surgical in nature. There were two scars on the chest and groin, both well healed, indicating that they had been created sometime before. Mm -hmm. The groin scars may have been the result of hernia surgery. There was also a scar on the boy's left ankle, which looked like a cut down incision, which indicated that the boy possibly received infusions at a hospital. There was also a one and a half inch scar on his chest closer to the left side. He had one round-shaped scar on his left elbow, and his chin had one L-shaped scar, a quarter inch in either direction. However, although this seemed to be evidence of multiple medical treatments, there were no vaccination scars evident. The boy had three moles on the left side of his face, one small mole below his right ear, three small moles on the right side of his chest, and one large mole on his right arm. Interestingly, the boy's teeth were a full set and slightly buck-toothed, an indication of his age being more likely on the older estimate of three to five years of age. Also, his tonsils were present, which is interesting for the time because tonsillectomies were super common. Like, people just used to take out tonsils for basically no reason. The boy's body had signs of being held underwater for some time, either just just before or just after his death. And the palm of his right hand and the soles of both feet were waterlogged or pruny, what investigators called the, quote, washerwoman effect. Was the boy submerged in water, perhaps in an attempt to drown him? His left hand was unaffected because it was frantically holding the side of the tub during the act. Mm. So this is just speculation. Mm -hmm. An ultraviolet light was used by Dr. Spellman to scan over the body to look for tiny clues, small fibers, anything that might reveal something significant. And this is important because in the 1950s, we don't have DNA. Right. Fingerprint analysis is in its infancy. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as like taking the blood and checking the blood type. And there's nothing like this. So it's really interesting that physical clues. Right. You have to look for and taking an ultraviolet light and looking over the body for physical clues was also not something that was commonly done at the time. So this case like really impacted people at the time. And they were trying to do everything they could to figure out who he was. And when the boy's left eye was exposed to the UV light, Dr. Spellman noticed that the eye fluoresced a bright blue color, indicating a possible use of an eye medicine to treat an eye infection. A strange finding during the autopsy was the discovery of an unidentifiable brown liquid in the boy's throat, but an examination of the boy's stomach contents indicated that the boy had not eaten anything at least two to three hours before his death. So what could the brown liquid be? Mm. The official cause of death was ruled, quote, beaten to death, and the boy's body had, quote, multiple head injuries. 
Since this detailed investigation by the coroner could not determine the boy's name or even the exact manner in which he died, Dr. Wilton M. Krogman, professor of anthropology at the Graduate School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, was then called in to examine the body. Krogman concluded that the boy's height of approximately 40 inches indicated an age of approximately 3 years and 8 months, but his body weight of 30 pounds indicated an age of only 2 years and 2 months. So Krogman then determined that the low weight was a sign of malnutrition, and the x-rays of the boy's leg bones indicated scars of arrested growth, which meant that the boy's growth could have been slowed down by six months to a year due to malnutrition. So why do we care about any of this? This is interesting because all of these things are clues to who this boy could possibly be. Right. So it's is there anything, first of all, is there anything that jumps out to you about this? Um, okay, so let me like uh, summarize what we've learned yes. so far. Um, this is happening in 1939? 1957. Oh, okay. 1957. But the family had escaped from Poland in 1939 or something like that So come here? That was a la- the first boy that found the body and didn't report it. Right. So that he doesn't really have anything to do with that boy. He just saw the boy, didn't report it, went back home. And I'm going to bring it full circle oh, in a okay. little bit Okay. about why I even mentioned him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It seems like this they they were keeping this boy. Okay. I'm just picturing because of the evidence so far that we have uncovered that this is like a kidnapped situation. Like this boy was in some sort of abusive relationship with kidnappers or something like that and they kept him alive for a long time it sounds like he's had a lot of medical work done and if you're on the older end of three to five years so let's say you're four to five years old um and you've already had like several surgeries and had to treat eye infections and have um yeah like ankle surgery and stuff like this it makes me think he was in he was in some situation where he was getting hurt often but who for some reason he was being helped at the same time. Yes. And it's strange because you think that usually if someone kidnaps you and they start beating you or hurting you ultimately to kill you, um, then why also heal you? Exactly. The It's such a great point that you brought up because that's the main thing that these coroners and people who are examining the body mm-hmm. are confused by. And right. investigators, too, they're like, Okay, why does this boy have very serious signs of long-term abuse? We're not just talking about like one explosive incident that caused his death. Mm -hmm. We're talking about years of malnutrition, years of broken bones. I mean, his x-rays showed that he had stunted growth. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, why dispose of the body somewhere where it's so easily found? Yeah, in this like off the side of a road. It's not like it was in the woods. Yeah, didn't even bury them. No. Yeah. Not at all. And... Also, the fact that it looked like he had undergone medical procedures mm-hmm. during his time is a, a big clue because investigators are thinking, OK, great, this is so easily solvable. We're just going to yeah. go to the hospitals and be like, do you have a child matching this description who has clearly undergone mm-hmm. like tens of medical procedures in his short life? Because you would think doctors would remember that. Right. So they what they end up starting with is they go to local hospitals and they take the fingerprints and footprint records that they take for, during the autopsy mm-hmm. and they bring it to the hospitals because when babies are born, they take footprints as well. Right. And they're comparing it to everything that they have on file at the local hospitals. So this is multiple hospitals, not just one. And there are no matches. Mm-hmm. 
And so then they expand that search and they go into other states and still no matches. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like the boy had never existed at all. And now that we've kind of like talked about the state that the boy's body was found in, I want to talk about what investigators thought to do next, because so far they've hit dead ends on the boy's identity after inspecting his body. So next they start to look at the items that the boy was found with to see if those can lead to any clues about his identity. So let's start with the box. So the next picture in the slideshow that I'm going to ask Rashad to go to is a picture of a cardboard box that, Natalia, I'd like you to describe to our listeners. Okay, so this is a, um, t- it looks like a wardrobe box. If you've ever seen a wardrobe box, if you've moved, where it has like the metal bar that you can hang hangers on and then um, the two ends of the box come together at the top, that's what it looks like. But for those people who don't know what that is, it is a um, large horizontal box. It's taller than it is wide. And on the side, it says up furniture with um, arrows pointing up. And then the box is opened at the top here. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it looks like it's maybe four feet tall. It's and, hard to tell for scale. And does it really does it look anything. wet to you? It it doesn't it mm, it doesn't look that wet. No. Like it's not it it hasn't been there for so long in the snow that it's lost its shape, right? Right. Yeah. It still has rigidity to it, Mm -hmm. but it has kind of started to cave in on the sides, which could be from moisture or it could just be an old box that's been used many times before. It it looks like an old box that's been used many times before. Yeah. It looks aged to me Mm -hmm. rather than um, like wet from from a snow and also if it's cold enough it wouldn't get saggy because like i've had cardboard boxes and things like that sit in the snow for long periods of time and if it didn't get hot enough and the snow doesn't the snow doesn't actually melt on the box you can literally just wipe it off and oh interesting yeah yeah okay well so let me tell you what the detectives saw when they looked at this box so the box is made of standard brown cardboard with a string wrapped around it as was typical of packaging at the time One side reads up furniture and then underneath it, it says fragile handle with care. Mm. While the inside of the box revealed a serial number printed onto it. So this is the first clue. Mm. So detectives use this serial number to figure out that the box had originated from an upper Darby JCPenney that was located less than 15 miles from where the body had been dumped in the woods. At JCPenney, store associates were able to tell detectives that the box was that of a baby bassinet which was sold for only $7.50 a piece. Mm. Store records show that they had only ever shipped 12 of these bassinets. Unfortunately, store records were much less detailed in the 1950s, and as luck would have it, all 12 of the buyers had made their purchases in cash, Mm. making it impossible for detectives to follow any sort of paper trail. So it's another dead end. That's really sad. Yeah. They're using a bassinet box. Mm-hmm. I I want to picture that this is just like angry mob guys that have been like paid off to do this and they, you know, just have no heart, no soul. They're just contract killers. They just are doing this. But the fact that that's a bassinet, it's making me think that this is like a fucked up family that had this child, you know, and yeah. it's making me really like just angry. And in an effort to get help from the community, police publicized the details of what they've found so far Mm -hmm. in newspapers. And the Philadelphia Inquirer published an article which read, quote, 
buyers of a bassinet at the JCPenney Co. store at 100 South 69th Street shortly before Christmas should reach out to their local police. The box was used as a youth's coffin, and if police knew where it was discarded, that fact would help them. Mm-hmm. Eventually, eight of the 12 purchasers ended up coming forward and were subsequently ruled out as suspects when they were able to show that they still had their boxes. Mm-hmm. This still left four out of the 12 purchasers unaccounted for, although some sources differ on this information and say that there were only 11 bassinets sold and that police were able to track down eight of the 11. Mm -hmm. But whatever the case, the box proved to be a dead end. So now we're at another dead end. So the first dead end, the body, which seemed so promising because it looked like it had gotten all of these medical procedures. Nobody has any record of a child receiving those types of medical procedures. Right. Then the box, which has a serial number, they know only 12 were sold. That's not that many. No. But they're not able to track down those final, either final three or final four, depending on which source we go with. Next, the investigation zeroed in on the blanket that was found draped over the boy. So, Natalia, the next slide I want you to look at is a picture of the blanket in question, and I'd like you to describe it to our listeners. Rashad, if you can pull up the blanket... And if you can put it on the screen. Oh, yeah, it is on the screen. Great. Okay. So I am looking at a black and white. Oh, I'm looking at two photos side by side. The one on the left is a black and white photo of a man in a suit and tie holding up a blanket. I'm assuming this is for like the file of the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blanket looks like one. It looks like a wool kind of plaid sort of like throw. Um, it's definitely knitted. And then on the right side is just a tiny piece of the blanket for texture sample, I guess, of like the yarn and thread. Um, Again, it looks like, you know, it's a woven blanket. Right. So according to author Jim Hoffman, who I'm going to be quoting throughout this episode Mm -hmm. because his book was the most in-depth that I could find, the blanket was determined to be clean and recently washed. It had a plaid design with diamonds and blocks of various colors of brown, green, rust, and white, resembling the southwestern style. Mm -hmm. The blanket had been mended with cheap cotton thread on a sewing machine and was in two pieces. There was a small piece of the blanket missing that was never found. There were no laundry or dry cleaning marks on the product, nor were there any tags or serial codes. The blanket was subsequently sent out to the Philadelphia Textile Institute. Based on their textile analysis, the Institute was able to say that the blanket was likely manufactured either in Granby, Quebec, or Swannanoa, North Carolina. So either in Canada or North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there was no way to tell where the blanket had been purchased since 1.5 million of these blankets were mass produced and sold in thousands of stores throughout the United States over the years. Okay. So we're at another dead end. Right. Body's a dead end. Box is a dead end. Mm-hmm. Blanket's a dead end. Next, the police decide to examine the items that were found near the boy's body. So right. first we've looked at where the boy's body was found inside. So found inside the cardboard box. And then they've looked at the items on top of the boy's body, which is just the blanket. Mm-hmm. Now they're expanding their radius and they're going out further. Okay. So the first item was a blue newsboy style cap, which had been found around 17 feet from the box on a dirt pathway that led directly to the crime scene. The cap was in relatively good shape, indicating that it had probably not been sitting in the woods for very long. This made it likely, in the opinion of the police, that the hat had either belonged to the killer himself or perhaps another witness who had not come forward yet but may know valuable information. 
What dumbass is triapsing? How do you say traipsing? That word? Traipsing. Yeah. Whatever. What dumbass? I wish is... Rashad had a microphone because <laughs> he laughs sometimes when we say things. Right. Rashad, you can laugh into the microphone. It I've makes never us feel s- like you know we're what? I think included. I'm a hero because I try to say words that I've never heard anyone else say, but I've read before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. Well, uh, I <laughs> pronounced archipelago uh-huh. incorrectly. I said archipelago. I and apparently it's archipelago. I thought Did it you was know that this? Too. Rashad, you knew this? I don't believe you. I think you're just saying this to try you to make us feel You might have learned it stupid. from me because I've been saying archipelago. I think it sounds better. Anyways, As what dumbass is traipsing? Traipsing. That's a stupid word. Traipsing. What dumbass <laughs> is traipsing through the forest where they've been up to some real like sketch hood rat stuff, like either murdering someone or witnessing a body and not reporting or dumping it to the, a body. T- to the yeah. police? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then they have the audacity to lose their hat on the ground and not be like oh that i should not leave that here yeah yeah right well and you're gonna think it's even more stupid because uh this was a very distinct hat so this hat was described as one that was popular amongst college boys at the time and was normally associated with upper class or ivy league students it was made of corduroy fabric royal blue in color with a distinct leather strap and a buckle in the back Okay. And the next photo is of this cap. Oh, yeah. This is a newsboy cap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's a newsboy cap. It's the one that has like a tiny little visor. And then the top part of the hat like is like a little snap button and snaps to the visor. So it kind of looks folded over in the front. And then in the back, there's, yeah, like a thing you can tighten it. It's kind of like, I love these hats. They're kind of like, um, my dad wears them. Uh, what do you like a newsboy cap? Yeah, it's like, a newsboy like cap. Old golfer man's hat. Yeah, I was about to say, do you know anyone that wears this style hat? Yeah, my dad has a hat like that, and it was so weird. One time, I came home from from um college or something, and it was on Christmas break, and my dad was just like wearing that hat. He'd never worn that hat before, <laughs> and I'd he's never trying to play it, it off, like not acknowledge it. Yeah, and yeah. I like immediately pull out my phone and put him on my story, and I'm like, when do like at what age do you just start wearing these hats? Like, right? Do they just come? They start appearing in your closet, right? Like you, you turn sixty, and then for the rest of your life, you're just a newsboy now, right? Yeah. yeah. There was actually a, one of my friends from high school wore these hats i don't think he listens to this podcast but if he does majdi you're great um <laughs> but he used to wear these hats and um it, it's a choice it's, it's a, a choice. it's a bold fashion it's, statement yeah it's you know honestly it's reminds me of like people who wear like a vest and mm-hmm. then they'll wear that and they'll be like mm, lady i'll yeah, take you on a date to a fine establishment right. where we'll have right. red wine and and a charcuterie. And then know. I take you back to my apartment and you look at my sword collection, exactly. lady. Yes. 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 This screams either old man yes. who's retired or sword collection. Yes, absolutely. Those Which also Venn diagram. Both of those things are great. Yes. Dads, love them. Right. Sword collections. Sword collectors. Fucking cool. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Majdi, you were a great friend to me. I once got cheated on by someone and Majdi was there for me as a shoulder to cry on. That also screams that. Yes. Just if like, you have a sword yes. collection, you're definitely letting women cry on your shoulder. Right. Do yes. with that information Correct. what you will. Yes. <laughs> so let me tell you more about this hat. It was a size seven and one eighth and had tissue paper stuffed inside the brim to help hold its shape. 
mm-hmm. confirming that the cap was likely new. Yeah. So when you, yeah, like if you've ever had like a new pair of shoes, for example, right. or a hat, sometimes it's stuffed so yeah. that way like the toe holds the shape or the brim brim of the hat yeah. holds the shape. Like I leave the cardboard in hats that it comes with because my head's really small and I like to like artificially make oh, really? my head look larger by like keeping the cardboard in it so it sticks up. See, Otherwise, there's just a big dent in the middle. See, you know I, have, about? I have the opposite problem. I have a large forehead and a large <laughs> head. So I'm like, take this shit out of the hat. Let's trick people into thinking my head is smaller than it right. is. But you know what? Big head, big brain. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't want a dent in mine. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so hat's new. Mm-hmm. Dumbass loses the hat. The label inside the cap led detectives to Robin's Bald Eagle Hat and Cap Company in Philadelphia. And this is not a chain. So, again, further... like not with a name like that. No. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, it reminds me of Baskin Robbins, but it's just <laughs> Robbins Bald Eagle Hat and Cap Company. She's like so many names. It's like, so many. Yeah. What, even one of those yeah. names could You could have been... just said Robbins ha- Cap Company. You could have said Bald Eagle Hat Company, mm-hmm. but instead it's Hat and Cap. Mm-hmm. Two different kinds. So the shop Still. owner, Hannah Robbins, breaking boundaries, You're right. breaking the glass ceiling, shattering it. 1957, oh, a right. female men's cap company oh, she's owner. she's a lesbian for sure. You think so? I mean, probably. She, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to our lesbian listeners. Right. Okay. So Hannah Robbins, she looks at this hat and she's also like, this is a really fucking dumb person whoever left this because she says she only made 12 of these hats Mm -hmm. ever in her entire life as a hat boundary breaking woman (laughs) and she says that this hat was made from the remnants of leftover corduroy and that's why she remembers these hats because she only had enough material left over to make 12 and she said that the hat she made was made exclusively for one man and she knows this because the man had asked her to add that strap and buckle to it as a special order as like a fashion choice he was like hey i like this corduroy hat however it's missing a buckle yeah like a pilgrim and she was like great i've got you and she put this belt buckle strap on so if I like hi, find that guy and put him in jail, what? Right. Let's okay. Go. So here she doesn't know his name. He paid okay. in cash, but she describes him. So now we have a description of someone who may possibly be either the person that dumped the body, the person that murdered the right. child, or someone else. Hit me. Okay. Who is he? Blonde, white, <gasps> English speaking, no accent, and between the ages of twenty six and thirty blonde i wasn't picturing blonde i was picturing like an old bald eagle yeah <laughs> an old bald eagle cap and <laughs> cap and hat man yeah 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 because as we've just discussed there's really only two people that wear these hats right sword collectors that are super sweet and let you cry on their shoulder when yeah. your boyfriend cheats on you and it turns out he was cheating on you for the entire last year of your relationship mm-hmm. and Rashad, you really need a microphone so that we can hear your commentary. Rashad is getting very bold today. I like it. It's his last day, you guys. He doesn't give a fuck. Leave a comment in the comment section saying, hi, Rashad, we miss you already. Okay. (laughs) And old men. So this is now, again, shattering all of our preconceived notions. It said that it was like an Ivy League thing. So it could just be some, you know, like... Upper class. Right. Yeah. That's typically the type of people who wore these hats in the 1950s. So she goes on to say that she remembers this man. Mm -hmm. 
She gives a description. She says he had come into her shop alone, paid in cash, and left without saying much. Mm, it's hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the detectives took this description along with a photograph of the boy and a photograph of the cap, and they visited 143 nearby stores and businesses. Oh, wow. But nobody else had ever seen anyone matching the description of the boy matching the description of the dude Mm -hmm. and matching the description of the cap. So like they'd never seen and it's a very distinctive cap. I'm really trying to hammer home that this was a good clue. Right. It is. But it's it's a a dead end. It's a dead end. Like if you saw this blazer, you would remember it. Like people are going to remember this outfit forever. I'm going to remember it and I want you to wear it every single time we record. (laughs) I'm I'm, that strong. This is inspiring me. I'm like, should I get A similar outfit, but okay. like a different color. I and think then, so. And then we become the men in black. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Back to the story. <laughs> so coming up empty over and over again, police ended up printing and circulating 100,000 flyers of the boy using photos of his face at the morgue. Mm. Natalia, the it's next dramatic. slide, a very well, this is the 1950s. People yeah. like did not give a fuck in the 1950s. Oh, wow. And I yeah. am going to slide this is you. Very haunted. Oh my God, this is very haunted. I would like you to read it aloud for our listeners. Okay, it says, Police Department, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, information wanted. And then it has three photos, the left, um, center, and right side of the boy's face, I mean, it's literally a corpse here that they put on this flyer. um, And it says, Photographs depict unidentified boy whose nude body was found in a cardboard carton in a thicket near Susquehanna and Very Roads, Fox Chase, Philadelphia, 3.45 p.m., Monday, February 25th, 1957. Death caused by head injuries. Multiple bruises over entire body. Death estimated to have occurred from three days to two weeks prior to discovery. No clothing found. Body covered by blanket. Man's cloth cap found adjacent to body. Description of boy. Four to five years. Height 40 and a half inches. Weight 30 pounds. Blue eyes. Fair complexion. Medium to light brown hair. Crudely cut. Full set of baby teeth, no deformities, L-shaped scar under chin, no vaccination scar, tonsils not removed, no bone fractures, finger and toenails neatly clipped, clothing size probably 4, shoe size 8D, blanket made of cheap cotton flannel patterned with diamonds and blocks in green, rust, and white, colors faded, Overall size, 64 inches by 76 inches, with a section 31 inches by 26 inches missing. Clean, apparently washed recently. Mended with poor grade cotton thread on home-type sewing machine. Man's cap, size 7 and 1 8. Leather strap and back, royal blue corduroy material. In excellent condition with large roll of paper tissue and sweatband. Manufacturer's stamp and lining of crown, Robin's Bald Eagle Cap, 2603 South 7th Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Carton, size 15 by 19 by 35 inches. Originally contained white bassinet, priced $7.50, sold at J.C. Penney store, 69th and Chestnut Street, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, between 
December 3rd, 1956, and February 16th, 1957. It is requested that citizens and law enforcement, welfare, and child caring agencies supply information concerning boys of this age and description known to be in the custody of persons who would abuse them. Also, the disappearance or absence of any child answering this description. Newspaper, radio, and television publicity requested. Notify Homicide Unit, Detective Headquarters, City Hall, Philadelphia, at any time, day or night, in person or telephone, Municipal 6-9700, or submit information through your local police department. March 8, 1957, Thomas J. Gibbons, Commissioner, prepared by the Philadelphia Inquirer as a public service. That was you read so much. Thank you for doing that. My mouth got so full of saliva. I know that feeling. That. It's the yeah. worst. Okay, but my <laughs> point is, I really wanted you to read this because, again, yeah, find all, them. All of the like the episodes. Well, and also yeah. all the podcasts I've listened to, I've only ever heard like the the shortened version. So I was like, if we're going to cover this, we have to. Right. We have to cover stuff people haven't covered before. This is so fucking detailed. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time when you listen to true crime, especially mm-hmm. if it's an unsolved case, it, most of the time it's like, oh, the police fucked up. Yeah. They like didn't do enough or they didn't run down. Yeah, a they're lead. doing the most here. Yeah. This is yeah. a lot. So do you think that these flyers and photos generated any new leads? Yeah. No. No. Why? You just build us up to break us down. I'm telling you. Bitch. That there are so many excellent clues so many things that the police did right here and so far coming up empty how dare you i you know what i appreciate your energy though maybe this is what the police were missing okay wait no that was she I nailed missed. it i know i mean i nailed it you guys <laughs> didn't even see okay so next police decided it would be helpful for dr spellman the man who performed the autopsy to do a write-up and publish his findings in the hopes that some doctor in the area would come forward after recognizing the various surgical incisions made to the body yeah so originally they had just gone to hospitals because the type of incisions were indicative of someone who just had surgical procedures but they're like okay well now we're going to expand we're going to go to private practices yeah do you think that they got a lead no no Correct. So is this just some, is this child even really exist? Well, that's, it's, it's almost like he never did. Or is everyone, is this like House of Wax where everyone in the town is harboring a secret? I thought you were going to say, is the boy made of wax? Because I've never seen House of Wax. And I was thinking that, I don't know. I don't also, think so. Also, was this boy made of wax? They would have found that out in the autopsy. They would have. I think the yeah. x-rays... Okay, so no doctors came forward as having the boy as having the boy as one of their patients. So next, the police developed a new theory. What if nobody was coming forward because the boy had been living as a girl? This could explain why the boy's head had been shaved so short and tufts of long hair had been found on his body, where traditionally in the 1950s, boys did not have long hair. Perhaps the parents of this child had kept the boy's hair long, dressed him in girls' clothes, and then shaved his head after he died. Right. Someone's. I knew it. Someone's hiding a secret. Mm-hmm. That's why these clo- these clues aren't going anywhere. Right. So operating on this new theory, a new sketch of the boy with long hair was released, and the public was asked if they knew of any little girls matching the description in the area right. who were unaccounted for or had gone missing recently. Mm-hmm. 
Again, no new information was obtained. No one seemed to know who the boy in the box could be. So again, another dead end. I'm telling you, they're doing the most. Right, yeah. Like, this is a theory that I would have never thought of, Mm -hmm. but makes sense, and it still goes nowhere. Okay, so now, according to storiesoftheunsolved.com, quote, former medical examiner's office employee Remington Bristow felt a personal connection to the case and worked hard to find a resolution. In the hopes of coaxing the boy's parents out of hiding, he published a fake story in the local newspapers claiming that his death had been an accident and that his loved ones had been unable to afford a funeral. Mm. So he's, again, they're doing the most. This guy who works um, in the investigator's office is like, this is fucked up. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bait them into coming forward. So he publishes this article that's like, um, in medical examiner's office, indicates that the boy's death was actually an accident Mm -hmm. and that was most he was most likely dumped because the family um, was afraid. Right. And they don't have to be afraid. We just want to know who this boy is. Right. And do you think it generates any leads? No. No. Uh, no of course not do you think the murderers are gonna be this whole time like oh shit they're trying to find us and then they're like the police department is like oh actually we you, forget about all that other stuff we were doing <laughs> we found new evidence that turns out right. this isn't actually that bad like yeah. so come forward nothing's gonna happen to you oh, i thought the flyer was still on the table i just remembered you crumpled it up and then i threw it yeah in a perfect bucket right. in a perfect swish kobe, kobe. Into the trash can. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Kobe. Um, Yeah. So basically, it doesn't go anywhere, is my point. So Bristow's like, like, build it all up to wash it fall down. I don't know that song. Burn it to the ground. I have no idea if those are the lyrics. Okay. But we can insert it. Somebody tell us in the comments below. I'm sure Natalia sang it perfectly, and I just don't know what it is. Okay. Bristow, same dude who's like personally obsessed with this case, decides he's going to put up $1,000 of his own money for a reward. Now, in the 1950s, think Mm. about it. A bassinet costs $7.50. this is a lot. This is a lot of money. Right. This could buy you a Mm -hmm. whole new child. It it could. (laughs) It could. And so he decides not only is he going to put up his own reward money, but Uh he's going to start taking like tips that come into the sheriff's office and he's just going to go and like investigate. So he goes to Arizona, he goes to Texas and he even makes a, do you know what a death mask is? Yeah. He makes a death mask. So he like puts the plaster over the face. Mm -hmm. And he ends up taking it around with him on like a tour almost. And he'll just like go random places in the U S and be Mm -hmm. like, on his like soapbox, you know, and right. be like, this is the face of a boy that died. And we like don't know who he is. Right. Um, And there was also some speculation that John Doe, so this boy, yeah. had died as a result of drowning, giving the water wrinkling on his skin. Mm-hmm. But then so then they try to like pursue that lead and say, like, does anyone know of right. like a child that died by drowning? But then they look at his lungs because remember, 1950s was not very sophisticated yeah. and they determined there's no water in his lungs. Right. So that couldn't have been what killed him. So even though he's pruny and like recently washed and has been submerged in water, he didn't die from the water. Mm. Then America's Most Wanted, the TV show, comes into play. And this case gets featured on that. And tons of people start calling in, but ultimately no leads. So another dead end. Then in 1998, John Doe's remains were exhumed in order to extract maternal, maternal DNA for testing. Okay. This was taken from the enamel of one of his teeth. 
The DNA was sent to the University of North Texas and entered into both national and local databases. Natalia, do you think they got a hit? No. Okay. Now, according to Wikipedia... Sorry, I was like, I'm not smiling because this is funny. I'm smiling because your face was was shocked. What? And you should be. You It's absurd. That's why I'm like, I have like a stupid little smile on my face. I'm like, it's absurd. Right. It's like, yeah, but you also she's try, she's like trying to trick me, you know? Like yeah. you're trying to be like, this is the time that they found something. Right. I don't trust anymore. Now. Okay. Well, you should never trust broken. me anyway. Okay. So uh oh, also, I forgot to say this part. Um, Whatever it is, it's a lie because it's coming from your mouth. Rashad, if you go to the next slide. Oh, there's actually a slide. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, what if, yeah, what if it wasn't? That's funny, Natalia. That was a funny joke. You know, sometimes when a joke's funny and so you don't laugh, but you have to like acknowledge it. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. So the police then decide after like this guy made the death mask mm-hmm. and he's been traveling all over the world and they circulate 100,000 of those flyers. Yeah. They're like, okay, maybe the reason why no one is recognizing this boy is because people look way different in death. Yeah. Right. So they're like. Hey, I've got a great idea. Yeah, they. This is very. This is very morbid. ghoulish. Yeah. yeah, they decide, but their hearts were in the right place, right? right? You want to describe what you're looking at right now? So they've taken the corpse of this little boy and they've dressed it in um, what would be like little boy clothes of the time, and they um, like it looks like a button down shirt or something, and a vest, and some trousers, and some socks and shoes, and they've sat the sat the corpse down in a chair and taken a photo of it and yeah. they stood the corpse up and taken a photo of it and it looks like maybe they've tried to they should have put some makeup on or something so that yeah. you couldn't see all of the bruises I mean I think I don't think they like had good makeup or maybe, is that okay. wrong I don't know yeah, I feel yeah. like did they have good makeup in the 50s the and best 60s? makeup they were like lead poisoning oh, that's right. fuck. they're like put whatever the fuck in here right. is gonna make the women beautiful oh, right, right. And go home and cook us dinner <laughs> And give birth. <laughs> That's true. So then they should have they should have gone the extra mile right. and put makeup on the boy. Okay. So they do this. They take these photos that we're looking these are at very now. Haunted photos. They circulate these photos on a new flyer. Hundreds of thousands of new flyers with th- these photos. Natalia, do you think that they got any leads? No. No. Okay. You are correct. No. So now we can go because I want this off the screen because it's very haunted. We can go to the next slide and I will tell you what this next slide is. They gave him a proper burial. So according to Wikipedia, quote, the boy in the box was originally buried in a potter's field, Mm. which is like Jane Doe's, John Doe's. Like if you don't know who this person is or if they're really poor and can't afford a proper burial, they get buried in a potter's field Mm. with like unmarked graves. And in 1998, when his body was exhumed for the purpose of extracting DNA, um, he was reburied, this time with a proper burial at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, which donated a large plot. So the coffin, headstone, and funeral service were donated by the son of a man who had buried the boy in 1957. So one of the original investigators that had buried him, um, his son in 1998 was like, I'm going to front the money to have a proper burial. And there was a ton of public attendance, tons of media coverage, and the grave has a large headstone bearing the words, America's unknown child, as Mm -hmm. the boy in the box would come to be known. And city residents keep the grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals to this day Mm. so that is the story of the boy in the box are you ready to get into the theories natalia yeah i mean 
Yes. What, what do you think, first of all? Like, what are your thoughts? What's going through your mind? I think someone's protecting. So there's people protecting. This is, this is, I think all the leads were coming to a dead end because there's someone who's not telling the truth somewhere. I don't know who it is. Um, whether it's the person that's bu- that was behind the hat with the buckle, I cannot say. But this child d- is not being claimed by his parents, which is fucking weird. That's your number one yeah. sign that people are hiding something. If your child goes missing, you're going to report that to the police or you're going to come forward and say, like, what's going on? You know? Right. Um and yeah, so the fact that no one was coming forward to claim this child makes me think that there's definitely people hiding something. Yeah, somebody's hiding something. And I find it very hard to believe mm-hmm. that not a, I mean, not even a distant relative came forward. You know, like, of course, if you murder your child, you're not going to come forward. Yeah. But if you are an aunt and uncle or a distant cousin and all of a sudden you notice that your nephew, right. you know, or whatever, is no longer coming around, mm-hmm. you're going to ask questions. Or not even, um, like, a blood relative. It could just be, you know, like, adoptive oh, thought, people or something. I thought you were saying five minutes, and I was like, shit. Okay. Oh. No, it could be... My point is, is, like, it's hard to hide a child, especially three to five years old. Right. They're loud. They They're don't loud. understand. They're supposed to stay, stay hidden. Yeah. Um, especially one that is getting all of these surgeries and things like that. That's the most confusing part to me because when you go, I mean, I, of course I was not born in the 1950s, but when you go to the hospital, they don't just like give you treatment. Mm -hmm. You have to present some form of ID. Right. Now, of course, if you show up to the hospital unconscious, they'll give you treatment because do no harm, right, is the pledge that doctors take. But they're going to need to figure out who you are eventually because you have to pay your medical bills. Is this like the love child of some forbidden relationship Ooh. that was being um, kept under wraps? Kept under wraps, and that is a good. And hypothesis. they were performing these surgeries and things like that on their own. You know. Oh, that is a good hypothesis. Well, I think that means you're ready for the theories because yeah. you're already thinking outside the box. Sorry, that was fucked up. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, <laughs> theory number one, the foster home. Mm. This theory comes from storiesoftheunsolved.com, which, by the way, if you guys are interested in more true crime stories because we don't really cover them on our show, go to storiesoftheunsolved.com. They had very good, like, impartial um, summaries. I almost said resume because in Spanish it's resumen, and I was about to say resume. It is not. It is a summary. And they list them like very impartially, like these are the facts. And then they go into all the theories. And I was like, whoa, that's great. Why don't people do this for the alien shit we cover? It would really help us out. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't people just make our episodes for us? That's true. Okay. So (laughs) storiesoftheunsolved.com. They have theory number one. And it reads as follows. Quote, one of the most thoroughly researched theories in the case is the John is the John Doe had been the child of a girl who lived at a foster home located one and a half miles away from where the body had been found. This theory was one of the favorites of Remington Bristow, that guy who like took the death mask and like went on a tour of the country. Right. And he believed that John Doe had been the son of Anna Marie Nicoletti, the stepdaughter of Arthur Nicoletti, the man who ran the home. 
According to Bristow, Anna Marie, who is said to have been mentally challenged, had four children out of wedlock, a.k.a. she She was raped. raped. Yeah, you can't consent. Um, Three who had been stillborn and the other who had died after being electrocuted in 1955 outside of a supermarket. That sounds fake. Yes, correct. It's believed the boy's death was accidental and the result of the family not wanting word to get out that Anna Maria was an unwed mother. In 1960, Bristow contacted a New Jersey-based psychic. So this is, again, this is the guy with the death mask who's, Mm -hmm. like, obsessed. He goes to a psychic and the psychic says, look for a house that... And then she goes on to describe the foster home, like to a T, apparently. I don't know what the foster home looks like, Wait, but sorry. that's what this Say article that again. says. This guy went to a psychic? Yes. The guy with the death mask that went on that tour that put up right. $1,000 of his own money. Yes. He just had, he was losing his mind. He was losing his mind right. about this. Yeah. It really affected him. And he was like, why does no one recognize this boy? Mm-hmm. Why do no doctors recognize this boy? Why is there no record of him being born at a hospital? Yeah. Like, what is going on? So he goes to a psychic. He's at his wit's end. Mm-hmm. And the psychic allegedly describes a foster home that was one and a half miles away from where the body was found. Right. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go to this foster home and I'm going to see what women of childbearing age and childbearing capability during this time were living at this foster home. And he finds this girl that we've just described who was the victim of... This sounds like it. This sounds like... Sounds like it, right? right? So he... um, he later brings the psychic to the dump site and he's like, he doesn't tell her anything. He just takes the psychic to the site where the box was found and he goes, show me where the house is. And she proceeds to walk him a mile and a half down the road to the foster home. Arrest her. Arrest <laughs> She knows too much. Yeah. So uh, later, so after, after this, <laughs> Bristow decides he's going to go to an estate sale at that foster home. And he discovers a white bassinet that resembled the one that was sold at JCPenney. This, is, this isn't the theory. This is the truth. As well as blankets that had the same Southwestern style, looked similar to the one that the boy had been found wrapped up in. And he's like, you know what? Like, this is it. It's this chick, Anna Marie Nicoletti. It's her. Yeah, it's her. And everyone's like, it has to be her. But there was no way to prove it because DNA didn't exist right. at the time. So anyway... Bristow dies. Now DNA is invented. Now they people are doing DNA and it's not a match. Well, that one was sent out to like jail records. Okay. okay. So now they decide they're going to compare it. So this is more recently than 1998. They're like, we're going to figure this out once and for all. They get a relative of Anna Marie Nicoletti mm-hmm. and they compare it to the boy in the box. What do you think happened? No match. No match. This was the best lead. This yeah. is the one that all of the investigators, once this lead was proposed by Bristow. Well, we got to go find that psychic and shoot and her. And just punch her. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> apparently everyone was like heartbroken, right? Because they're like, this is the only. Why did like, we the DNA test lead. the psychic? She knew too much. Yeah. She led them in the wrong direction. Also, Bristow's starting to look very suspicious I to know. me now, but all, that's probably fucked up. He's probably just like a nice guy that was trying to do a nice thing. It's like thing. that thing where like you fart and then you're like, who did that? I have to figure out who did that. Twas not me. Uh, yes. In fact, I will carry a sample of this fart around the country and place a thousand dollar reward if you tell me who did it. God damn it. Come forward. Who created this fart? I cannot rest. It's been 20 years. <sighs> but alas, he did not find who dealt it. 
Instead, he died. So now we go to theory number two, which is the next slide. Human trafficking, which you said, yeah. you said it during the story. So this one also comes from stories of the unsolved.com. Uh, God bless them. And mm-hmm. it reads as follows, quote, another prominent theory in the case is that this boy was a victim of human trafficking and suffered severe physical abuse. This came after a Cincinnati, Ohio-based psychiatrist contacted investigators after a patient by the name of either M, Mary, or Martha told her that she wished to speak to him. According to M, her abusive mother had purchased John Doe, sorry, I burped, from his parents when she was 11 years old, saying she distinctly recalled that her mother uh, handed his parents an envelope of money in exchange for the boy. After that, both he and she were subjected to years of sexual and physical abuse, which eventually resulted in his death. She shared that one evening he threw up his dinner of baked beans, which led to him being beaten into a semi-conscious state. When his mother tried to clean him up in the bath, the boy vomited again, and then she got super mad and she just ended up killing him. In an attempt to conceal his death, M and her mother traveled to the Fox Chase neighborhood in Philadelphia, When they were preparing to remove the body from the trunk of the car, a motorist pulled over, thinking they'd gotten a flat tire. M had attempted to conceal the car's license plate, and upon her mother denying his request for help, the motorist drove away. After hearing this story, numerous investigators were convinced of its plausibility, as M touched upon aspects only investigators were aware of. Right, the liquid in the throat. Uh Uh-huh, and including a 1957 statement from a man who claimed to have witnessed a mother and her child pull over in the area around the time that the boy was found. So this was previously, like, not released in that flyer we read, and that's why I didn't include it. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there was a witness who had come forward and said, I I don't, I never saw the boy, never saw anyone dumping a boy or a box, but I did see, it, like, in the vicinity, Mm -hmm. a woman and her female daughter, like, stopped on the side of the road as if they had a flat tire. Right. So police are like, holy shit, this lady who came forward to her psychiatrist, her story's plausible. Yeah. And also parts of his body were water wrinkled, which supported the idea that he'd been bathed before his death. Also, the brown liquid in the throat, which could have been beans Beans. that he had thrown up. Mm -hmm. However, uh, skepticism was abound as a search of her home uncovered no evidence and interviews with neighbors revealed that no such boy had been living in the home during that time period. And after the police were like, "Okay, we need to, like, talk to him. And we need her to come forward with her story. She ended up fleeing the country. And now nobody knows where she's even located. So basically, the police went and they interviewed everyone who knew him, knew her mother. And everyone was like, there is no boy. Well, yeah, because they didn't know about him. Well, uh, I mean, apparently. So because this woman had a psychiatrist, the psychiatrist was like, Look, she's this is what she said to me, but I'm treating her for and we don't know, of course, what she was being right. treated for. And he was like, so I don't know if this is real or not. Right. If she just made it up. And then she somehow fled the country and nobody to this day knows what happened to her. I mean, that. But it's plausible. Se- like the fact that she fled the country seems like she might have been involved. Could I don't have know. Been. Maybe shit was starting to hit, hit the fan and she was like, I I don't want people to know right. that I am involved. Because they were asking her to come forward with her real name and her real story. Right. Okay. Theory number three. The next slide. Carnival workers. I see your confusion and I am Carnies? with you. Little no. hands. Yes. Yeah. Okay. David Stout 
author of The Boy in the Box, The Unsolved Case of America's Unknown Child, which we've been referencing throughout this episode, Mm -hmm. has theorized that John Doe's parents were likely poor, possibly carnival or migrant workers who would have been able to travel without a paper trail. And that could explain why there's no record of him ever being born, because a lot of the time um, lower income people, I I guess I wasn't born in the 1950s, just like wouldn't go to hospitals because they couldn't afford to pay the bills. So they would have the child at home. Um, And then there wouldn't have been any record of the child being born. And this theory of carnival workers being the parents is supported by the 1961 arrest of carnival carnival workers Kenneth and Irene Dudley after their seven-year-old daughter was found deceased in a wooded area of Virginia, wrapped in a blanket with signs of abuse and malnutrition. Mm. Several of their children had also gone missing, with many having passed away as a result of neglect and abuse. And so people were like, well, maybe one of these missing children is one of the boys. And they were never able to confirm that any of the missing children fit the description of this boy. But they're Mm -hmm. like, what are the odds? All of these children have gone missing. One is found wrapped in a similar blanket in the woods. Mm -hmm. And according to journalist Michael East in his article for Medium, quote, speculation soon turned to the possibility that rather than a carnival worker's son, the boy had been a recent immigrant. With newspaper sources revealing that there had been an influx of Hungarian refugees in 1956, investigator Bill Kelly, along with Remington Bristow, the death mask guy, um, checked an amazing 11,200 passport photos of recent immigrants to see if that's why they couldn't figure out, like, who the boy was. And despite believing they may have identified the boy through a photo accompanying the media stories, this lead was again a dead end because the boy that they thought matched the description was found alive. So a Hungarian refugee boy yeah. matched the age and description. The passport photo looked a lot like. But he wasn't dead. But it wasn't him. It yeah. wasn't him. Okay, theory number four. Oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. No, Siri. You stop. Ask Siri what she thinks. Siri, you dumb bitch. Okay, theory number four. Man who sold his son. Two authors, Lou Romano and Jim Hoffman, have suggested that John Doe is the deceased brother of a man currently living in Memphis, Tennessee. After speaking to a Philadelphia resident, they learned of a family who had rented a home from him. They had sold their son and suddenly left the area not long after news of the murder of John Doe broke, leaving behind items that were seen as necessary for everyday life. Philadelphia's former assistant medical examiner was questioned about this, and he noted that there were similarities between John Doe, his potential father, and his potential brother, particularly in the nose, facial structure, and the ears. He said that these similarities alone were compelling enough to warrant further testing. DNA evidence from the man in Memphis was obtained in 2014. And what happened? But investigators stated that they needed more evidence in order to be able to have a warrant to have it tested. This finally occurred in December of 2017. Okay, and? Dead end. No familial connection. Okay. Why? Why do you do that? Theory number five. Comment if you hate when she does that. The last theory. Stephen Damn Man. It was him. He's a damn man. (laughs) A final theory that John Doe was Stephen Deman, a young boy who went missing from New Jersey on Halloween in 1955. His mother, Marilyn DeMann, had left her two children outside while she went into a grocery store, but when she returned, she found that they were both missing. Mm. Her infant daughter, Pamela, was eventually discovered a block away, still in her pram, but Stephen was nowhere to be found. Given Stephen shared similarities with John Doe, his hair and eye color, his age, and a matching scar on his chin, 
he was ruled out as being him as he'd suffered a broken arm. So he had originally they were like, wow, he has all the same scars. Oh, my God. Like matches the description. But he had a broken arm. He had a broken arm and the body didn't. And DNA testing would later confirm Stephen is not the boy in the box. I hate you right now. This is a waste of our fucking time. Right. Okay. So I don't. I didn't want to make this a separate theory, theory number six, because it's super quick. And so I was like, doesn't even warrant a slide. But there's Mm -hmm. also some people who think that the Polish guy and or the peeping Tom guy have something to do with the boy's death. Obviously, Okay. But they both took uh, lie detector tests. Which can easily be faked. Which can easily be faked. But they came up as telling the truth. And the only reason why they even found the Polish guy, the only reason why we even know that Mm -hmm. he found the body is because... When the police were like super frustrated and getting all these dead ends, they decide to go back to the dump site and they look at even more items that were found around the body. But remember, it was a dump. So like they found some stuff that had blood on it. But again, no DNA testing existed at the time. And they took it. They found like a yellow scarf. They found like a shirt, all kinds of trash. So far, all those were dead ends. And then they start doing a canvas of the neighborhoods in the area. And that's when they find this Polish guy and he's like, hey, yeah, I actually do know something about that. Mm-hmm. I was there um, checking my muskrat traps and I just didn't want you to know because one, trapping is illegal. Yeah. And two, he had just come from this horrible situation as a refugee and was like, I don't want to get in trouble. Right. I don't want them to know I'm doing something illegal. And so he's like, that's why I didn't come forward. Yeah. So I actually don't think the Polish guy is like seems like someone who would have anything to do with it because they looked into his family Mm -hmm. and they know who he immigrated with yeah and there was no child in that family yeah and the now the other guy remember is a peeping tom right so remember his version of the story is that he saw a rabbit right and he has right and he has such a yeah yeah that didn't happen he's like i have such a bleeding heart and then it turns out that he was just like Peeping, Tom. peeping on the girls that are at that school that is a that yeah that was god's way of being like you stop it yeah you stop Here's it immediately right and apparently he was like kind of obsessed with one of the girls at that school from what i was reading well, he sounds like he's a pervert but but did he murder a small child probably yeah. not hopefully not hopefully not so I, I wrote down here in, in like in the concluding remarks, like it's totally reasonable to me that the Polish like why the Polish guy didn't come forward. Right. Um, and the peeping Tom guy, I wrote, honestly, just sounds like a pervert who was super interested in teenage girls, was yeah. which is its own problem, right. but doesn't make him a child killer. Mm-hmm. Also, both of these guys were vetted by the police and were found to not be suspects. So what do you think of these theories, Natalia? Do you have your own theory that I didn't mention? What do you think of these five theories? Um, I'm wondering if it could be the little boy that went missing with the baby, mm-hmm. but, and they said that he didn't have a broken arm or whatever, but what if they just messed up the autopsy? That's so you think like the DNA that they pulled from the tooth is wrong because they tested oh, this right. DNA tested against the DNA. family members. I think the first theory sounds like the winner theory, but the fact that the DNA didn't match one of the relatives could perhaps mean that the woman wasn't related to those people like we thought she was. That's very true. Because I actually, I 
I watched some true crime show on like mm-hmm. Netflix or something recently where they had a genetic genealogist and she was trying to like go through like the family trees yeah. and she originally thought it was the wrong person and it didn't match the DNA of the killer because she had just gone down the wrong branch of the same family tree. Right. And I guess someone had been like adopted and she didn't know that. So yeah. you never know. I just think that this time, the 1950s in the United States was such an oppressive time for so many different reasons. I mean, like civil rights had not been progressed far at all for people of color or women. And so if there was like anyone who was trying to protect themselves that's from that demographic, you know what I mean? Like could have, I don't know, tried to keep that quiet. Like if you're a woman who had a child out of wedlock, Or, you know, you were sexually abused by someone in your family and you want to save face because you don't want to be from the family with the child abuser, even though that's fucked up. Like you internalize that. And so you're you're not going to come forward and say what happened or perhaps, you know. Someone's sister had a baby with their brother and you can't do that. So now, you know, that this is what happens to the child or something like that. I mean, I, there's I'm not a million sure. scenarios, a right? million scenarios. Yeah. But I definitely think that this was a child that it couldn't have been a child that got, that went missing that came from a family who really like loved that child and wanted right. to find them because otherwise those people would have come forward and they would have been like, this is my child that went missing. Right. So it has to be coming from um, some sort of situation where the people are ashamed of the child for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, I mean, if you're going to abuse your child, you don't love your child, right? So there has to be some, I mean, unless, I mean, it's totally possible it was just like an evil piece of shit person, but normally it would probably be like, there's a reason why you hate that child. Mm -hmm. It's not the child's fault, but like to your point, maybe it was like a child born out of wedlock Mm -hmm. or maybe it was a child that was a product of incest or something like that. I mean, we don't really know. Um, But to your point, Adoption was super common and like not as good of like paper trails happened back then. I mean, we've heard several stories of people that like bought children like in these theories and they ended up being like not being related to this child. So so it could have been anything like my grandpa was adopted and he didn't know until he turned 18 and a neighbor was like, oh, is this your adoptive son? And my grandpa was like, what? Like he had no idea. So I feel like people just adopted and bought and sold children and right. like you would have no idea. Just in a, yeah, in an yeah. effort to make that perfect like nuclear family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, I don't know. This is just I there's definitely somewhere out, someone out here who knows what happened. Absolutely. And they're still around to this day. Yeah, because 1957 was not that long ago. No. No. So these are all of the theories, but this story doesn't stop there. I have one more thing to add. In April of this year, an article was published to CBS Philadelphia. Written by Joe Holden, the article concludes as follows, quote, Philadelphia homicide detectives two years ago got an order to exhume the remains of the boy in the box again. Mm. What they were able to retrieve this time for DNA purposes was sent to a lab in Europe that has now given them their biggest break yet. Quote, what is it? This is the closest. This is the closest gonna... we have gotten, <laughs> Smith said, of being able to find out the boy's name. Police now have a DNA profile they hope leads them to family members of the little boy. Investigators say this gives them a new direction. Quote, might there still be witnesses around? There could be, Smith said. Absolutely there could be. Might there still be a perpetrator around that's still alive? Possibly. 
Could be. These detectives are on the doorstep of what they can of what can only be hoped to be the break that's kept them up at night, wondering what the name of the boy in the box is. Quote, it's always on my mind, Smith said. We owe it to that child. We owe it to their family members. So we might very soon know who the boy in the box is. And this update made me want to cover the story on our show after so many years of thinking about it, because who knows, maybe sometime this year we will finally know who the boy was and what happened to him. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking cover it because this year we might find out because this is the year of like familial DNA and like figuring out who killed everyone. So many true crime unsolved murders have been solved this year. So... This it could happen. episode is the equivalent of people putting like for part two. You just liked for part two the whole haunted fam, and I am disgusted. Or, or <laughs> did I simply give you a frustrating story and you're displeased? Both. Yeah, a little bit. Both. Well, how are those not the same it's thing? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And you guys, <laughs> like and follow for part two of this story. Unless they never are able to find out who the boy is. One, I mean, there's also some theories that are like a little more like paranormal, supernatural. Right, like was this an alien? Right. But I'm always His like. DNA doesn't match anyone. I'm always like, is it disrespectful? That's why we don't cover true crime a lot of the time. Because it's, it's like, is it. Too disrespectful. It's like, it just feels kind of disrespectful to be like, or was he dropped by in bear with mange riding a space blanket through the sky right this was a child yeah this is a child who existed and died and why don't we know who he is why Mm. is there no record of him and he was clearly very severely abused yeah so i'm gonna show um my final slides are just the sources for this episode so my sources for this episode are a book by david stout called boy in the box the unsolved case of america's unknown child also, an article published to Wikipedia called History of Poland, 1939 to 1945. Also, a video published to YouTube by the King Rose Archives called Capture, Captured Film, Germany Invades Poland, 1939. Then an article published by Michael East to Medium, medium.com, called Unsolved Mysteries, Who Was the Boy in the Box? Mm-hmm. Then The Boy in the Box, an article published on April 24th, 2020 to Stories of the Unsolved with no author. It's just a website mm-hmm. that like summarizes everything. Then there was The Boy in the Box, The Tragic Story of an American Unsolved Mystery, published to American Hauntings. And a book by Jim Hoffman called The Boy in the Box, America's Unknown Child. The next slide. Oh, you already did it? No, you already did it. You're great. You're already ahead of me. Exclusive. Philadelphia police hope break in 1957 unsolved murder Mm -hmm. leads to the boy in the box's identity by Joe Holden, published to philadelphia.cbslocal.com on April 30th, 2021, just a few short months ago. Yeah. Did you just, um, what is it called? MMA formatting or something? MLA. MLA. No. MMA formatting. I've, you know what that I've, too. Yeah. MMA where you just, just cage. you fight your sources because you're <laughs> mad that they got to it before you did. <laughs> um, no, these are not MLA. I've actually thought about that before. I was like, should I make a work cited or a bibliography no. instead of just being like, here's the link and what it is? No. No. <laughs> no. I know. It's like it's it's too much. But we do our best to cite our sources. Yeah, these are definitely. all of the sources. And I also wanted to give a shout out. Um, I didn't use them as a source, but I have listened to 
BuzzFeed Unsolved story on the boy in the box that they did. I think it was 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember watching that. And that's kind of like what got me thinking about this story. Like this story has lived rent free in my head for years and years and years. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know we normally don't do these types of stories, but Mm -hmm. it's been like rattling around in my brain. And when I saw there might be an update this year, I was like, well, I'm certainly glad that you um, did this episode because Thank you. it's new content, haunting, haunting um, for the haunties. Yeah, and I'm gonna be thinking about this for a long time. It's a crazy story. I I like can't get it out of my head, and I just really it's one of those ones where you're like you're like, how are there so many clues? Yeah, you know, if you are listening to this and you're like, there's someone in our family who doesn't have DNA. Let me um. Type out that experience and explain it to you guys. Oh, right. Please uh-huh. let us know because I'm interested. If you had a great uncle mm-hmm. go missing as a child that fits this description, contact yeah. Philadelphia police. Right. And then tell them that you want to submit your DNA for the boy in the box. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I think this is like tangentially related, but if you haven't submitted your DNA to one of those ancestry websites yet, you probably should because so many cases are being solved. Rape cases are being solved um, this last year and this year. Mm-hmm. Um, unsolved murders like previously unsolved are now being solved because people are using familial DNA. Investigators are using familial DNA to go through people's family trees yeah. and figure out who these people were. And I think everybody deserves justice if you had something terrible totally. happen to you. So I agree. It's I, worth but, it. But also the flip side of that is like, you're now going to get in trouble if you're, I mean, up to something like what, like what if you break in somewhere and get all of, get all of the, the new Xboxes. And, and then they take them, the DNA and then they from take the DNA. Your sister submits her DNA thinking she's going to solve a rape. Right. But then now you go to now jail. you're in jail for stealing Xboxes. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a lesson <laughs> to not steal Xboxes. I can't. How dare you? <laughs> I was going to redistribute the wealth. Oh, okay. You were going to Robin Hood the Xboxes. Yes. Well, I should be first on your list and I have not received one at this time. Hmm. Well, you thought you were my friend. Uh-oh. But you're a snitch and that's why you're not getting an <laughs> Xbox. Submit your DNA here. We're like, you know, Let's Get Haunted has like a yin and a yang, two sides of the same coin. We really push each other to greatness, though, don't we? Right. So I'm here to tell you, submit your DNA, get some (laughs) unsolved crimes solved. I'll consider it. Natalia is here to say if you've stolen anything, which, by the way, they definitely don't take DNA. They don't? No. See, that proves my innocence. I've never done it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no downside. Unless your great uncle murdered someone and you know that and you don't want him to get caught. But mm-hmm. I would I would say to that, wait till he's dead then. <laughs> and then submit your DNA and then besmirch his memory. Besmirch. That's mm-hmm. another one that I like now. I'm going to write that down. Traipsing and besmirching. Yeah. It, I really think it should be triapsing. Triapsing. Because that sounds like you're just lollygagging. Like you're lollygagging. Like you're going slow and, and low. What along. about trapezing? Wasn't that a word that we read recently on this show? Yeah. And you were like, no, it also means this. And I was like, how does it that not? That was the word that I thought it meant. I thought it meant traipsing. Oh, you were trying to say traipsing and you yeah. said trapezing? I s- probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, Rashad's getting angry. Okay. We need to quit. All right, sorry. Okay. Uh, you know what? It's just because we're so sad that you're leaving us, so we're trying to drag this out to spend more time with you. Yeah, totally. Do you want to? Do you want to come on the yeah. screen? No. no. Uh, he's like, I can't be so, associated so, with this. I'm also very embarrassed that you have said that Cole had a crush on me because now he's gonna he's totally gonna watch this and he's gonna be like i would never fuck that ugly girl i can't believe and he's gonna leave a mean comment he's no he's gonna be like um yeah really sad news me and my girlfriend broke up uh if you'd love if you want to chat and get you know if you'd like a to bagel if you'd sometime. like to role play as sunny june and nancy drew <laughs> hit me up cole just kidding don't do that sorry that was weird don't do yeah, that. Yeah, if you have a girlfriend, uh, your girlfriend's beautiful. I already know. I haven't right. met her. I don't know what she looks like. She's great. Yeah. Also, you're 20, mm-hmm. and I am not. Yeah. So He's over 18. Just a law. <laughs> I'm saying. You can cut this if you want. I'm just gonna bleep out the entire outro, and people are gonna be reading our lips, and they're gonna be like, "Who's <laughs> mole?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, are you still out there? Leave a comment. All right, Natalia, do you want to do our sign-off? Yes. What do you want to say to the people? It's really hard to make a sign-off that's not going to make a joke out of murder, uh, abuse, or... whatever else there was so well i would like to remind you of that special dad hat that we saw which was great content yes okay brb i'm gonna go open my own bald eagle hat and cap store yes bye bye That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, three hundred dollars $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 